Chad Poe, your pastor, is uh, a good friend of mine. We've gotten to travel quite a bit uh, over the last few years and uh, have built a pretty strong friendship. And so when he asked me if I'd be willing to come and, uh, and fill in for him, uh, I was very excited. He speaks incredibly highly of you guys and uh, is, I, I, I just will say this up front, and you don't know me and there's no reason for you to trust me whatsoever, but uh, six weeks ago, my wife and I, we moved from the Pacific Northwest to San Antonio, so we're new, I guess, at being uh, Texans uh, again. We were born and raised here, but like we transplanted, now we're back. And so we're kind of new. We're new at this church, new at this culture. And uh, I'll just say this, because I know Chad is, is, is still very new and still trying to figure out how to balance the, the road and being here and being present, being your pastor. And my encouragement to you would be this, to just continue to love and support him, uh, to continue to fight for him on your knees and praying for him as a pastor. Uh, there, there's nothing that means more to knowing, getting that text message from, from our people that go, hey, I'm praying for you. Uh, not going to agree with everything that you do. Uh, it's hard to support everything, but I'll support you completely, and I'm in your corner. And this kind of Jonathan-David relationship where you go, I'll be your armor bearer. And I'll, I'll stand between you and the enemy as he shoots arrows at you. Uh, they'll hit me first before they hit you, our pastor. And so to continue to fight for him. Uh, well, like I said, like, he, like Jared said, my name is Drew. And uh, born and raised in Texas. Uh, my grandpa used to always say, you can always tell a Texan. You just can't tell him very much. And... Uh, <laughs> Graduated from college in Texas and then spent a year traveling around America. Um, got in a car. Uh, and while I was in college, I started, stu started studying the art of magic or illusions for the Christians that are in the house. Um, and so just was performing through college. Studied psychology. Didn't plan on being a professional illusionist, but uh, actually went to school to be uh, a counselor. But started combining the art of illusions with psychology to do what people call mentalism. Just means that instead of making things disappear, I pretend to make it like I can read your minds. Which immediately creeps people out, so I apologize for that. Uh, but hit the road. I'm right out of college and spent a year just traveling all over America. And realized pretty quickly that we're not meant to be gypsies for Jesus. And didn't want to be the guy that kind of blows in, blows up, and then blows out. Um, instead, I wanted to, meant to disciple people. I wanted to take Jesus at his word and actually pour my life into people. And so we were in, the, in Washington State at the time and decided just to stay there. It was considered the most unchurched state in the U.S. And uh, we started working with college students who were considered the most unchurched age group worldwide. And so we planted a church there, and God just gave us a lot of favor. And in my 11 years in being the Pacific Northwest, right before we left, we planted our seventh church. Um, so we are in Washington, Idaho, and Oregon, just kind of spread out, all in university cities like Eugene, Oregon, where the University of Oregon is. And so our congregation has been about 80% college students, and so which means uh, we're really poor. And uh, so I continued to travel, and, uh, but we felt the Lord and just in the, the last few months kind of pulling us and, and telling us there's a new season uh, coming ahead of us. And we did not want to leave Washington, and we definitely didn't want to come back to the heat of Texas, but we said yes to the Lord, and we're loving San Antonio. And so it's, it's a huge honor to be able to just get to drive over here and be with you guys this morning. But if you have a Bible, um, I'd love for you to grab them and meet me in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And as you turn there, uh, my wife is here, uh, Jane. Uh, we've been married three full years. So we've got it all figured out. So if any of you guys need counseling afterwards, we'd love to help you out. I'm just kidding. Uh, we don't know what we're doing. Uh, 
Uh, my parents um, were from Nacogdoches, Texas, which is about, I guess, three hours north of here. Is that right about right? And they drove down to kind of hang out with us, and so, so grateful to have them here. I'd uh, love for you guys to get a chance to meet them. Um, as you turn to Acts chapter 4, um, I love that you guys are in this series called Just Jesus. And believe that any church that goes, hey, we want to shift our eyes, we want to focus our eyes completely on Jesus, that he's the author and the perfecter of our faith, that many churches, I think, would get to a point where they go, okay, hey, that's really cool, but let's get a little bit deeper. Yeah, yeah, Jesus seems to be kind of the fundamentals, and that, yeah, that's great, but let's get a little bit deeper and push it further. And I would submit to you this, I don't know if you can get any deeper than Jesus. That as Tim Keller, pastor and author, says that, that the gospel, Jesus, is not you know, the ABCs of our Christian faith, but rather he's the A through Z of our Christian faith. That any church that shifts their eyes and goes, Jesus, we want to we look at you, we want to chase after you, that you're it, uh, I think is a church in a good place. And so I'm very proud of you guys. And this morning, here's what I want I want to do. And this is kind of my objective and my aim. Is this morning, we're going to look at three markings, um, I believe, three markings for every person that is following after Jesus. So that if you're in this space this morning, you say, hey, I love Jesus. I follow after Jesus. Then these are the three markings that I'm praying will be over each and every one of our lives. Each and every one of our lives. So Acts chapter 4, let me set the, the kind of the stage real quick for us. This morning, we're going to look at two of the disciples, Peter and John. And Peter and John, the story right before this, the chapter before, you see they're on their way to the synagogues. They're on their way to the church service, to worship, to, to pray. And they come across a, a beggar, a lame beggar, that the scripture is going to tell us that he's been there for like 40 years. So, I mean, he's been there for a long time. People know him. Like, and if you, if you also think from his perspective as a lame beggar, to hang outside of the church, not a bad place to hang out. Like, people are going into worship or leaving and they feel pretty sorry for you and they're handing out money and so he's been posted up there people recognize him and so he is, is Peter and John are walking by them he stops them it's like hey do you have money and they kind of stop in that moment turn to him and this beggar's thinking jackpot here we go it's about to be payday and Peter and John look at him and go hey listen silver and gold we don't have it but what we do have we give freely in the name of Jesus get up and walk and all of a sudden, this man's legs begin to strengthen and straighten. And for the first time in his life, he stands up on his own. And the scripture paints the picture that not only does he start walking, but he's like he's skipping, he's dancing, okay? For those Baptists in the room, uh, he's doing some choreography, okay? Um, and so he's, I mean, he's skipping, and it's causing a commotion that people are like, wait, wait, wait a second. We, we recognize this guy. Isn't that the guy that's always been begging and he's lame? And so people are like, how is this happening? And they point to Jesus, just Jesus. They say, he, he's, the, he's the reason this is happening. And thousands of people start following after Jesus. And it causes such, like, like people are so overwhelmed. And it's such chaos that the religious leaders at the time grab Peter and John and they throw them in prison. They go, okay, hey, listen, we've got to figure out what to do with these guys. Uh, but, but it's kind of late today, so we'll just deal with this in the morning. We'll leave him in prison. We'll deal with this in the morning. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4. And so if you would start in verse 1 with me. And this is what it says. And as they were speaking to the people. So Peter and John. 
The priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Side note, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in it. They're the ones that ultimately put Jesus on this false, in this false trial and executed him. And they didn't believe in the resurrection. So the fact that they're preaching this is causing them to get a little ruffled. So in verse 3, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. That's revival. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were the high priestly family. Verse 7. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then watch this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, your fighting words, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is... Is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, don't miss this. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, just Jesus, under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. Pause there for a moment. The first marking that we're going to see of those that know Jesus and love Jesus is this, that the message is clear. The message is clear. What I love about being back in Texas is Texas has one of my favorite restaurants um, of all time, um, a place called Chick-fil-A. And uh, in Washington, I know this is hard for you to believe because you just Chick-fil-A has always been around you. Uh, but Washington, um, we, we, didn't, we don't have Chick-fil-A. And so I know you pray, pray for our friends that are still there. And, uh, and so, but honestly, I mean, we joke, but we prayed for a long time that God would send uh, Chick-fil-A. And last year, he heard our prayers and he delivered. Uh, and so there was actually a Chick-fil-A that opened last year about eight miles from our house. And so just a testimony that the Lord is good and he does hear us, okay? But here's what I love about Chick- Chick-fil-A. No matter where you land, what camp you land, whether it's, hey, the chicken nuggets, or maybe it's the, the original chicken sandwich, and there's all the other items that are amazing, but those are kind of the two, you know, that you kind of lean into, or whether it's what sauce is your favorite, which that Chick-fil-A sauce is unbelievable, man, those waffle fries, it, it, I mean, no matter where you land, and here's what you'll notice, that somehow, some way, Chick-fil-A has hired two renegade cows that seem to be vandalizing billboards across, you know, the, the, this, this part of the country. And they, they're putting up a billboard, and it, the message is unbelievably clear. We all know it, no matter what, where, what camp you land on. It's three simple words, you know, right? Eat more chicken. The message is unbelievably clear. And sadly, that we live in a world that is begging for answers, for the hope that we have within us. And our message, if we're not careful, becomes really unclear 
instead of becoming really clear. That when the world is asking, what is the hope that you have? Oftentimes the church finds itself stuttering, unsure. And, and, and the message, of the, I just want you to hear this because this is, this is the hope. This is what we have. All world religions say basically the same thing. Hear, hear my heart, okay? And this is what it is. That we, there's a mountain and God's at the top of the mountain and we're down here. And what we have to try to do is work our way up to the top of the mountain to get to God. And so and it, whether it's good deeds or man, serving the poor or whatever it is, that that's how you make your way up to the top. And then if you get to the top, you may call it enlightenment, nirvana, whatever it may be for you. That's the goal, okay? That somehow, some way, you will make your way up to God, church attendance, or, or whatever it may be. Christianity is the one religion that says this, that even on your best days, it's just an extension of your selfishness, and you slip and fall, and that you will never make it to the top of the mountain on your own. You can't. You won't. But praise be to God that our God left the top of the mountain and came to us in the person of Jesus. That he came to us when we couldn't get to him. That the message is this, quite frankly, that in the very beginning of this book that God created the entire world, that he reached down, formed mankind, breathed life into him to know him intimately so that mankind would walk with him, know him, be loved by him, we make it three chapters into the book before we totally screw it all up. And we look at God and say, no thank you. I don't want to do it your way. I'll do it my way. And it broke the relationship. Fractured it. And the world's broken. It was, we know it. Listen, like you don't have to watch the news very long before you're like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty messed up, right? Surely this isn't the way it's meant to be. But the entire Old Testament, it's one giant promise. Crazy stories. It's one giant promise. And this is the promise that God sees us in our brokenness. But he loves us too much to leave us there. And one day, one day he's sending a hero to fix every bit of this. And so when you turn the pages from Malachi into Matthew, Old Testament into New Testament, you see that the hero shows up, but it's not what anyone expected. Because the hero was God himself that left his throne room and came to planet earth and wrapped himself in human flesh. We called him Jesus. Or at Christmas time we call him Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. That God put on flesh and he moved in our trailer park, walked with us. 33 years, perfect, teaching us what it means to be fully human. And then willingly laid his life down on a cross, the cross that you and I deserve because of our treason, was crucified, placed into a tomb. Three days later, he raises from the grave, proving that he has the power over sin and death. And all who call upon the name of Jesus, that all that would bow a knee and call him Lord, check this out, go from being enemies of God with a broken relationship to being adopted into the family of God. That's what the church is. The church is the ragtag, broken family of God. We're not perfect by any means. We're just purchased. That we were once slaves to sin, but now we're free. Do we have it all figured out? No, not at all. But we are the family, the adopted family of God. And that's our message. Not that Jesus came to take bad people and make them good people. That's not the gospel. 
The gospel is that Jesus came to take dead people and bring them to life. And so we don't preach a message of moralism. To do, you, know, you need to muster up good deeds, clean yourself up, and then maybe Jesus will love you. We go, no, 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 you're already loved. That Jesus is chasing after you, pursuing you. And when you realize how much he loves you, then that begins to change your heart. It's not about good deeds. It's not about being more moral or being bad turned into good. It's about you were once dead spiritually and now you're alive. And how you know people are, are alive? You feel the heartbeat. You feel the heartbeat. So the message is unbelievably clear. And we need to be able to be quick to tell people this message. They're going, what is it that you believe? What is it that you've surrendered your life to? It's just Jesus, that he loves you, he died for you, to rescue and redeem you. That's good news. It's really good news. Secondly, not only is our message clear, that we're going to see that they were also, the second thing is this, that we're marked by Christ. So as followers of Jesus, where message needs to be clear and we're marked by Christ. See this in verse 13. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, okay? Or for those Duck Dynasty fans, uh, Uncle Si always says there's two types of people. There's educated and there's uneducated, okay? These men were uneducated. They were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. Why? And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it, is what they just said. Peter and John, there is absolutely nothing special about them. They're uneducated. They haven't been to seminary. I don't know if they've been to a whole lot. I don't, know if they're, I don't think they have perfect attendance in Sunday school. Like there's nothing really, there's not, there's not a lot of talent that's flowing from them. That there's nothing special about them. But here's the one thing that's for certain. Here's the one thing that we see. That they've been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. How did they know that? If you think about this, the Sadducees were the ones that, 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 that tried to crucify Jesus. And so where were the disciples when all that went down? They peaced out. It's not like they saw him hanging out. How did they know that they had been with Jesus? Let me answer it this way. I told you I graduated college and I jumped in a car and started driving around America. I, I traveled with a musician, a friend of mine named Josh, just acoustic guitar. So he would do music and I would do the illusions and that was kind of our little bit. For an entire year, and we lived together in this car. We ended up moving to Washington together, Washington together and started a church. And he's still one of my closest friends. Now here's the deal. If Josh were here this morning, if you were to come out and you would got a chance to meet him and talk to him, here's what you would notice. You go, Drew, you and Josh are like really similar. Like, the way you talk is very similar. Like, your mannerisms are very similar. Like, the way, like, you use your hands. Like, they're, they're kind of the same. You guys tell a lot of the same jokes and a lot of the same stories. Most of which he stole from me. Okay? But here's, if you think about it, why is that? Why is that? Here's why. 
Because for every waking moment for an entire year, I spent side by side with this guy, Josh. And you know this. You see this in your own life. We have those, those friendships that are so tightly knit. Or even in, in, in marriage, you start to go, gosh, you start to look the same. You start to act the same. Like you've almost become one person. And the reason that is, is because of that, that you, you're, you spend time with one another. Or maybe it's a friendship where you're like, oh my gosh, it's like you share the same brain. It's like you finish each other's sandwiches. Like it's, I mean, it's all, it's the same. Frozen reference, got it? Okay, cool. Uh, some of you are like, mm, I don't get it, Drew. That wasn't supposed to be sandwiches. Um, but here's, here's the point. When you spend that much time with someone, you begin to walk just like them, talk just like them, have the same mannerisms. How is it that they knew they had been with Jesus? Because they were marked by him. They go, listen, these two guys, they, they, they literally, they, they talk just like Jesus. They walk just like him. They have the same mannerisms. They tell the same stories. There's the same confidence, that same patience, that same love. They listen, there's nothing special about them other than the fact that they've been marked by Christ, that they've been with him, that they walk with him. So my question to us, church, is this. Myself included, not just to you, it's to me. Is it obvious that we've been with Jesus? Is it obvious that we walk with Him? Or is this just a weekly hangout where we just grab lunch with Jesus? It goes good. High five, I'll see you next week. Or is this this daily walking with Him to where the people of your life will look at you and go, Hey, listen, I don't know Jesus. I don't know if I believe in any of this. But I'm willing to bet if Jesus was on planet Earth, He'd look a lot like you. I'm willing to bet he walks just like you. I'm willing to bet he loves people like you do. I'm willing to believe that if he was at your job, he would look just like that. I don't know if I believe it, but that's what Jesus, I think, would probably look like. Is it obvious that we've been with him, that we've walked with him? Now, I'm going to use this example, and, and God forbid this actually happened. But if, let's say after the, the service this morning, we head back, we get in our cars, and, and for whatever reason, one of you decides to walk across the interstate. And around a corner, an 18-wheeler going 75 miles an hour, full speed. You're not, you're not paying attention, or you just didn't see them, they hit you square on. You're walking, not in a car, I'm talking square on. Here's what I will promise you. If you were to live through that, which chances are you probably wouldn't, but if you were, you would never walk the same again. Why? Because when you're hit with something that powerful, you don't walk away unaffected. You forever have a limp. And the same is true of the gospel. When you've been hit with something that powerful, and it continues to hit you on the daily, you forever walk different. You forever have a limp. And church, may that be evident of us. That not only is our message clear, but we're marked by Christ, that it's evident we've been with him. The last and final point is this. 
Not only message is clear, we're marked by Christ, but we're motivated by the cross. We're motivated by the cross. Look at verse 17. It says, But in order that they may, may spread no further this message of Jesus among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, name of Jesus. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said this, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Here's what happened. They go, listen, we're going to let you two go because we can't figure out what to do with you. But here's what we're telling you. You do not speak in the name of Jesus. You don't mention this. You keep it on the DL, keep it on the quiet, and you go about your business. Just do your job, keep your head down, and don't cause any problems. And Peter and John said this, whether that's right is between you and God. But one thing's for certain. We cannot help but speak about the things that we've seen and heard. That the grace of God has so drastically impacted our life that we firsthand experience the love that God has for us and that we can't help but speak about it. We can't help but talk about it, champion it, billboard it. We want the world to know that we were once dead and now we're alive. Let's just rewind. Let's go back to the Old Testament and think about this. Let me give you this example. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah comes face to face with Jesus. Sees him high lifted up. Sees the seraphim. Worshipping him. Holy, holy, holy. He falls on his face. He experiences the grace of God. God had every right to destroy him in that moment. But he doesn't. He extends grace. That grace over overwhelms him to where he joins in with the angels in worship and then check this out when God looks and says hey who will go before us who shall we send and here's what Isaiah says here I am it's in me now I want you to, to notice this when you go back to that passage you're going to see there's an exclamation point at the end of it and I want you to notice this the language there, Isaiah is not looking at God going, well, God, if there's no one else, I guess you'll send me. I guess if no one else will sign up, if no one else will step up, then I guess you can send me. I don't really care to do it. I don't really want to. But if no one else is, I will. I'll be the hero, I guess. Look at me. No, no, that's not the language. The language is more like this. When God looks and says, who shall go before us? Isaiah steps up to the plate and says, here I am. Send me. Don't send anyone else. No, 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 no. I'm first in line. Send me. Send me, Lord. Like I've seen your grace, your mercy. I've basked underneath the waterfall of all of those things. And I don't, I don't want anyone else to go, send me. I've experienced it. It's captured my heart. And I want, I want to spend the rest of my life pointing to you, making much of you. I've experienced the cross, and I can't get over it. I can't shake it. Send me. It is the thesis of my life. At the moment that you give your life to Jesus, 
The moment that Texas Hold'em style, you push all the chips in and say, my life is yours, Jesus, do whatever you want with it. You're the captain of the ship, not me. I'm not co-pilot. I'll get in the back. You're the captain. The moment that happens, that the only reason that we didn't get zapped up to heaven. Let's just think about that for a second. Like, why not? Why not the moment you give your life to Jesus? Why are you not zapped up to be in heaven with him? Like, as amazing as like southeast Texas is, as amazing as this is, to be in the throne room with God Almighty, fully known, fully loved, experiencing Him for all that He is, no hurt, no pain, no tears, trust me, a much better deal than what we've got going on down here. Why not? Why, why, why didn't we get zapped up to be with Him? Here's why. Because God's not done with you yet. And he has an assignment for you. Our pastor says it this way, that the gospel hit you on its way to someone else. That Jesus has saved you, rescued you, and then sent you into the world. Otherwise, why not go home? Because he's wanting to use you for the message to be clear, to be marked by Christ. And the way that works is we're motivated by the cross. God didn't send me to South Houston to share the gospel with your coworkers, with your classmates. He sent you. He rescued you, deposited the Holy Spirit inside of you, and then left you in that work environment, among those friends, among that family, so that you would be an agent of hope to tell them about Jesus so that they may experience life the way you have through Jesus. I believe with everything in me, it's the only reason that we're on planet Earth. If you think about it this way, I remember reading a book right outside of college and it was, we're kind of working on how to do ministry with college students and this author he had this one quote that like, man, just rattled me. And he said this. He's speaking to college students. And he says, if you're in this, but I think it, it, it goes for all of us, okay? He says, if you're in college for any reason other than to be, if you love Jesus and you're in college for any reason other than to be a missionary for Jesus, to be on mission with Jesus, he said this. He said, you are there for a selfish and sinful reason. And I remember stepping back and going, whoa. Hey, uh, that's a little intense, bro. Uh, you maybe should calm down. Um, that's, that's, a little, that's maybe for the super Christians, uh, but not for everyone. Then he began to unpack it for us. And he said this. He said, if I ask any college student, I think this, you could ask any high school student, middle school student, fresh into the workforce, or you've been doing it for the last 30, 40 years, or even retired, why, why are you doing what you do? If you have to ask a college student, why are you in college? This is the answer you get every time. Well, Drew, obviously, uh, I'm here to get a degree. Amen, bro. That honors the Lord. But why? Well, Drew, here's the deal, man. I don't know if you know this, but I got to get a degree so I can get a job. Okay, cool. God doesn't want you to be a bum. Why? Why, why, the, why the job? Well, Drew, here's the deal. I got to get... 
I got to get to college so I can get the degree, so I can get the job, so ultimately I can make money. Okay, cool, but why? Well, here's the deal, Drew. Like, I got to get the degree so I can get the job, so I can get the money, so that I can get ahead in life and I can buy a nice house, a comfortable car, and I'll just kind of coast until God takes me home. And he said this. He said, if where you are in life right now, if where you're pointing it ultimately ends with you, if you love Jesus, he said, it is a selfish and sinful reason. Your life, no matter what stage you find it in, is meant to point to Jesus, to make much of him. If you love him and you're following him, it is the only reason that you are still here. The scripture calls us ambassadors for Christ. Have you ever thought about that? What's an ambassador? Like right now, we have an American ambassador that lives in China. Are they Chinese? No, they're American. But they live in China. What's their job? To represent our government, our democracy. If we are ambassadors for Christ, it's the same. Meaning this, we live on foreign soil, sent here to represent a king and a kingdom. And it's the only purpose we're here. It's the reason. And what motivates us is the cross. I'll end with this illustration. And you guys have been incredible. And I appreciate you so much allowing me to, to be a part of you, a part of this, this I mean, just your, your faith family for the day. And I realize that some of this, um, it's easy to ruffle feathers. It's easy to kind of walk in this place, and especially if, man, if, if us following Jesus has been compartmentalized to just a Sunday gathering, which is so easy to happen in the South. It's so easy that this is it. That we're, we're one way Sunday morning and then the rest of the week we just kind of coast off maybe what that pastor said on stage. But I think we have to ask ourselves the question, surely that's not what Jesus died for, right? Like surely that, that's not it. Like if, if church is just a hobby, it's a really lame hobby. Can we be honest with one another? Like get a boat. Like that'd be a way cooler hobby if that's all this is. But if this is everything, if Jesus is a part of your daily, hourly, and we're called to walk with Jesus, then it's different. And, it's, and it's, it makes sense to say things. I mean, like ruffle feathers a little bit to go, surely there's more, right? Surely we realize that this is what we're called to. Because the message is clear. We've been rescued, redeemed. We were once dead. And to billboard that and champion that makes sense. Not to hide it away. I encourage you with this, man. God never... I'm all about inviting people into the faith family to experience this. But what if you first invite someone into your home and into your life before you ever invite them into this space? I pray that this, this grows. I pray that you guys have to go to two services within the year. But I think it starts, and I think the way that works is you're willing to invite people into your homes first. 
But most of us go, hey, no, listen, dude, I wasn't really wanting to like get that messy, invite someone into my world. I just want them to show up on Sunday and they can check it off like I do. Amen or ouch. But rather, would we be people that were willing, and if the gospel is inside of us, would we be willing to love people where they are, invite them into the safety of our home? This is weird if you don't know Jesus. It's super weird. But to invite someone to our home, to ask them questions about who they are, so that we might get to share the hope that we have within us. That's what changes things. I remember several years ago, I was at a camp, and I was sitting in the back with a youth pastor, speaker, like, just like Chad. And uh, we're sitting back there, and we're and just watching and these adults and these students lose their ever-loving mind for Jesus. They're just worshiping. But there was this one gentleman that kind of caught our attention. And the way he was worshiping, it was just like, man, that Jesus had captured his heart. Like, it was just like unabandoned. Like, he didn't care who was watching. Like, there was no pretense. There was no performance. I mean, he was just like captivated by Jesus. And so much so that we're like watching, and we're kind of like dialogue. We're like, whoa, what has got into that guy? Like, how... Has he experienced Jesus so much that that would be the case? And so we're like, we got to ask him. So we, I mean, I know this is awkward. We shouldn't do this. But we went, we like interrupted him. It's like, bro, I, I need you to tell me, how is it that you're able to worship like this? And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, how, we asked him this question. He said, how is it that you can worship unlike anyone else in this room with such abandonment? And I'll never forget his response. He said, what do you mean? I'm the only one worshiping like this. It was a weird moment and kind of confusion until one of those moving lights kind of scanned across the audience and we saw there's this kind of fog over his eyes and it clicked. I said, sir, are you blind? He said, yeah. And I felt like the Lord just, man, just deposited this in my heart. Drew, this, this young gentleman had absolutely no idea that he was the only one worshiping like that. He assumed that everyone in the room had been impacted by the beauty and the grace and the love of Jesus just like he had. And he couldn't bottle it up. He couldn't contain it. It overflowed because that's the Jesus that he knew and loved. Church, I pray that you in this room would be marked by those three things. That your message would be so clear. You'd be quick to point to Jesus. There's salvation in no other name. He's it. We put all our hope in that, just Jesus. That would be marked by Christ. That would be obvious that you've been with Him, that you walk with Him in the daily, and then each day you begin to look more and more like Him. Why? because you're just with them and that you'd be motivated by what God has done for you that he died for you so that you could live for him and point your life to him Jesus took 12 ragtag teenagers who believed this with all of their heart and he flipped the world upside down every single one of you in this room you're here because of one of those 12 young men if you think about it, 
when those 12 young men shared the gospel and discipled someone else who discipled someone else who discipled someone else who discipled someone else who shared the gospel with someone else and discipled them all the way to you. 12 teenage boys. Church, I cannot begin to imagine if just 20% of you in this room begin to believe this message and begin to live it out. What in the world God could do in this city and in this church? If just 20%, 10% of you would just step up and say, that'll be my life. The message will be clear. I'm uneducated, didn't go to seminary, I don't know. But neither did Peter and John. You can use me. Marked by Christ and motivated by the cross. I pray for you guys. Thank you so much again for letting me hang out with you. Uh, if you absolutely hate everything that I said and I made you upset, sorry. Uh, don't take it out on Chad. He had no idea. Um, but this is just my heart because I believe it. And I really do believe God will change the world and change the city if you would begin to walk in this. And I, I care enough about you to tell you that. Because I want more for you. I really do, church. I want more for you. I don't want you to get to the end of your life and go, surely, surely that's not it. So let me pray. Jesus, I realize that, man, as the guy that steps on stage, that's the least connected, that it is really easy for my words to come across in an arrogant manner or an unloving manner or even step up on the stage and pretend for a second that I've got it all figured out when we know that's not true. That you're still man, redeeming me. You're still man, causing me to, 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 to walk in this. And we're not there yet. We're not perfect. But we have been purchased. And Father, I want that to be said in my life. I want every word that comes out of my mouth to point to you, to make much of you. Jesus, I want meant to be shaped to look more and more like you on the daily because of our time together. And God, I want to be reminded every single day of what you've done on the cross to rescue, redeem me, save me, that it would send me into the world to be an agent of hope. And I pray that for these, these people you pray that over Grace Bible. That you would cause them and to look up and see how beautiful you are. Just Jesus, you're the only thing that can change us. And you'd send us into this world to change it. We love you. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus.